Hello and welcome to episode 12, not quite a baker's dozen, but we should make it by next week to episode 12 of How Not, the brand new podcast was about me, Luke Manning. And me, Kim McCarty. God, I don't know where I'm going with this, but we're going <laughs> to roll with it. We are here, as always, to remind you to always be good troublemakers, think big and ask how not. And how are you? I am good, thank you. I've got a lot I need to get off my chest before oh. we start. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, I'm already thinking about what are we going to talk about when we talk about how our week was. Mm. So let's deal with the shit and piss first. Okay, let's do it. Matt Hancock. Oh my god! <laughs> what a bag of shit that man is. Mm. And I read a thing that said, "Yep, PM has accepted his apology." On so that's cool. Yeah, so, so everything's fine. We've had criminal justice reform, haven't mm. we? Because now you just have to say sorry. Exactly. And everyone's like, nah, you're cool, you're all right. Um, yeah, so that's fine, and he's still got his job. I don't think Matt would survive in prison, you know. I don't think he'd survive anywhere. No. Apart from Westminster. Um, yes, and then everyone's favourite shitbag, George Osborne, he's now chair of the British Museum. What? Everyone's favourite shitbag, cultural. George plant. Osborne? Yeah. Is chair of the British Museum. Yeah, so now he is like the robber with the mask on and the big bag of swag, all the stolen artefacts. Oh he's in charge of them God. all now. I really feel like I forgot that, he existed. Yeah, I know. And he's so good at getting jobs. He's gets in everywhere. So yeah, now he's in charge of the British Museum. So I think we can all... Um, all just prepare ourselves for the incredible reform of their approach to mm. colonialism. That'll happen any day now. Right? Yeah, yeah. And his first thing on Monday will be like, right, we've we've offered everything back to its rightful owners and we're going to change it. And now this building will be about honesty as we look at our past, I presume. So, Tories, smash We should be it. doing something. Like, I wonder if there's some kind of action around that. Scheming and I think There planning. should be, because it's yeah. gross. Um because there was a... Fuck that. That's all I have to say. Yeah, fuck, fuck it. It's, it's just a horrible nightmare. And I the most annoying thing was I heard about it when I was half asleep listening to the news this morning. And then I had a dream about it. Oh, and no. And then I had a dream I was standing next to Michael Gove. Oh. And it was like... It can't get any worse you, in your head huh? today. Oh, dear you, George Osborne. Ruin my sleep. So, yeah. Michael Gove was there. Christ. Fuck. Um... There's that thing at the Science Museum. Did you see that? There was a... No. They were going to do like a sit-in to protest Shell sponsorship, Shell Oil sponsorship. Okay. Um, And Science Museum called police. And they were like forcibly removed. Um, There's this really good organisation called Culture Unstained, which is like, let's remove all the fossil fuel sponsorship from the arts. Mm. Um, It was them and the student climate action group mm. um obviously the science museum isn't the only one but they've always been like really they've always come to the defense of the oil companies yeah. said that like no no they're all on track to like sign up to the paris agreement that they'll all be carbon neutral that's Are not true none of them are on track yeah. for that um and that you know we need that money because we need to it brings us all the skills and expertise to deliver good information it's just like that's doesn't fly does no. it I mean, and I think there's, there are, we're seeing that change. There is lots of push 
I guess that's what the Guerrilla Girls were talking about, right? Looking at the boards of museums and galleries. Exactly. And the systems the in which from. these places function, you know, yeah. not just, you know, we need to actually think about the formation mm-hmm. of the power and how it works. And, and it, we've seen some galleries move away from fairly dubious sponsorships, mm. but science museums doubling down. Which is not a good look. No, that's shit. And, and, to, and to be so defensive of, as well, instead of accepting the reality of what's going on is yeah, shitty. I think it's it's just really blatant as well because it is there's an exhibition that is around energy and its shell. Well, we see these contradictions everywhere, though. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It really is. Like, we do see it time and again. Like, it's, it's really shocking, actually, when we... When, this level of hypocrisy still exists yeah. at such a level. Yeah. So I think what the I heard an interview um with someone from Culture on Stage and someone from the Student Action Group and they were saying mm. that there they have undertaken these kinds of protests at other places, including Tate Modern and some other galleries, and the spaces have helped facilitate them, you know, have made have you know because obviously people that work within these organisations have differing opinions on that mm. sort of thing. So they've always been they've run very smoothly, and even though the institution might not be fully on board with what they're saying, they do they they respect their right to do it. The Science Museum is the first to actually call in the police to, to remove it, um, and I think they were they were being threatened with. Um, it was like eight o'clock in the evening, and they were they were being told that they were being aggressive, and that they oh. were, and it was like you know these. Are I'm like, so dumb with the police right now. Like honestly, like the fucking football, mm-hmm. and that you know we've like delayed nightlife yep. yet again. Yep. The nightlife have not had a full return since COVID. No, like at all. They've not even had a half return or a fucking zero point zero 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 one return Mm-mm. yet. All over London, there's these huge... They've turned Trafalgar Square into a fucking viewing party for football hooligans to trash the joint and to fucking snog each other to the heart's content. Yep. And the police have stood by. And I guarantee you, when I walk in London Transpride tomorrow, the police will shut it down at the first opportunity. Oh, due yeah, to absolutely. And they will point to COVID as yep. this. But, but the thing is, it's like, there's so many points at which it becomes quite risky to have these mass gatherings of people. And you can do all you like at the doors of Wembley Stadium to make sure everyone's tested mm. and negative, whatever. But there's all these other points, everyone moving through the public transport mm. system, all these points where it's just like, this is carnage. And it doesn't matter how careful everyone is, we see the rates of infection yeah. going up with the Delta variant. And we know that young people aren't um, vaccinated yet. There's going to be a lot of young people at the football it's just like, why, yet again, when we fall under the same government department, culture, media and sport, why is it one rule for sport and another for culture? Because it's the department of sport. Isn't it? Really. It's yeah. just such a drag. I mean, I, you know, I think we all accept that, you know, large sporting events are important to lots of people. That's Yeah, great. like whatever puts the nice, warm, runny piss in your conference, exactly. you know. Just but, like, go for it. But it's so... Um, it's it's not equal at all. No, there's just such an imbalance, and it's not even being kind of. It's not even being put forward to us as it's not like even a discussion. It's, it's not, not a discussion, and they've also not said, "Okay, we're going to try it with sport. And we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll use it as a test case." No, it's no. just like the doors are open at different times. Mm. It's just how many examples of inequity 
are we gonna be shown before we overthrow? Let's burn the down government. the government. <laughs> no, it's such a fucking drag. Honestly, um, I'm ready. But the two good things that happened this week, I went to a really brilliant restaurant. Oh yeah, tell us about that. Uh, which is Pip Place's restaurant. She was, she trained under Angela Hartnett. She was, she was one of the winners of Great British Menu a couple of years mm. ago. Um, and she has a restaurant called Heachy and in Cole Drops Yard in King's Cross and it was so good and the cocktails were amazing and all the food was like sherry food. I love that. So little bits, little, little plates. Bitties, so you can taste a million things. And the other good food thing that happened was I got an air fryer this week and it's the best thing I've ever bought and what? I'm now going to spend my whole life air frying things. Tell me more about how that happens. So... Air frying? It's like a little pod, a brilliant little pod and it uses hot air so it's sort of like a convection oven but because it's very very small it heats up very quickly you don't really need to use any oil for anything and it crisps everything to fuck and you can make anything in it so it's like nice and crunchy without deep fat frying horrible and it's just like an absolute fucking delight and everything takes it's like super fast you know everything's like 20 minutes it's very high tech yeah it's very high tech it's, like, it's like fucking sci-fi food yeah exactly so it's like space food and so yeah i'm just gonna air fry everything and that's maybe i'll air fry matt hancock yeah i'm i mean i don't know how it'll taste disgusting but we'll just put them straight in the bin yeah, all right yeah. that sounds good to me um how's your week amazing really good i'm only going to talk about the good things because i i've realized i don't have time in my life for the bad things right now um it's been amazing my my mother Mama Manning has been down to visit, which has been lovely. And yeah, I've just been showing Mama about London and I'm absolutely fucking shattered, to be quite honest. But yeah, I had a good restaurant experience. Also Lengi last night, lots of little bits, tried lots of little bits. Um, Amazing. Who knew vegetables can just be so amazing? That's it. Yeah, Otto Lengi is a wizard when it comes to vegetables. Broccoli. Um, and went to see Queefy Cabaret last night, drag show. Um, went to the Tracy Emin exhibition at the RA. Mm. Um, just, yeah, been doing it all, really. Um, it's sometimes yeah. fun to, like, when you host people as a Londoner, you host people in London, you get to see it through the eyes of a visitor. Yeah. You kind of re fall in love with it. Given me an excuse to eat cake, really, all week. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, I'm on my holidays. I'm not at <laughs> yeah. all. But someone's it feels like I am because someone's on their holidays. Um, but yeah, it's been lovely. It's been super nice and. Um, yeah, looking forward to more days of eating cake and strolling about. And I thought your mum might make an appearance at the Priscilla Palace today. Actually. I know. Well, actually, she's off doing her own thing. Like she's she's like, I've got plans. See you later. Bye. See you later. Um. So yeah, I think I'll maybe see her after this if she can schedule me in. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Honestly, but yeah, looking forward to more more days with with. Well, that's and nice, isn't it? Yeah. What are we talking about? Well, I today. think this is really exciting. So I guess like you were like, look, uh, I keep picking things. You need to pick something. And I was like, oh, <laughs> because I didn't have like a specific. I think I sent you like seven things in one thing. Um, So it's a bit of an umbrella one, this, isn't it? Yeah. But I've been really thinking about the role of the erotic, mm-hmm. both in life and in art and in culture. And a lot of questions that I've been thinking about are like, so different, the role of eroticism in art and the role of eroticism in queer art and sexual liberation and open-mindedness and kink and intimacy 
and eroticism as a political statement and, and great artists that have used that and embodied it in every aspect of their life. Yeah. And, and I've just gotten really into that idea. I'm right at the starting point. I don't know a lot about it, but the people that I look to, I've just decided to open myself up to yeah. like a sponge to absorb some stuff. Yeah. Because what I mean, I guess what we talked a little bit with the Gorilla Girls was their male grays thing. Yeah. Right? And I guess that was like, it was a, this felt like a really interesting kind of follow up Coming to off that, the back, yeah. That kind of idea of art, certain forms of eroticism being really prevalent in art right. and others being pretty taboo still. Yeah. And like where that line is drawn. And also eroticism like presented like through the male lens, but depicting female um, models or whatever. I think that's an interesting um, scope especially coming off the back of the Gorilla Girls and then comparing that with, like, people that are presenting themselves or whatever, or, like, or like a community that are part of. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's an interesting one. Because you sent me the the Audrey Lord um, her yeah. reciting her. I was like, this is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. It's really inspiring, isn't it? It's yeah. really rousing. Yeah. There's a video on, like, uh, yeah, it's YouTube of her reciting her essay. I'm sure there's places you can read it as well, but mm. there's she's just got such a powerful way of delivering. Yeah, lines. like, let's talk about that. I mean, so Audre Lorde, queer black poet, um, and really inspiring person, actually. And, like, someone that, you know, I, I'm... I still need to learn a lot more about, I think. Um, I still need to read a lot more of her work. But this was something I stumbled across because I knew she was one of these people that was very good at talking about the erotic and had to take on it. And yeah. yeah, she had this essay that was, I think it was like 1978 or something. Yeah. Um, Uses of the erotic. The erotic has power. And what really struck struck me initially was this great distinction between the erotic and the pornographic. Yeah. Because I was thinking about that. I was like, I, I didn't know how to explain that. You know, I was like, I want to be able to understand eroticism as something that's a lot less just about something that's hypersexualized, i.e. pornographic or something that's purely serving someone else or whatever. I want to talk about the erotic as something that's empowering and that's exactly what this essay talks about. So... You know, I think there's some quotes that say Porn porno pornography emphasises sensation without feeling and is the kind of direct suppression of the erotic and it's and it's the misuse of the erotic that we see. Yeah, I um, think the way yeah. she describes that difference for me is like the most kind of clear and resonant way I've ever yes. heard. It's like... Same. And how funny that it's 1978. I because know, Because we're exactly. still trying to have this conversation yeah, in exactly. society. Um, you know, the erotic versus the pornographic and where that line is. It was, it's really interesting. I find, and there's, I guess we can come on to this a bit later, but I, I find the discussions around pornography and like ethical pornography and feminist pornography, I find they aren't had enough either. Mm. And so it was really interesting. To, like you like you said, I think lots of us in our mind have a have a an understanding or we're almost there with the difference between eroticism and porn pornography and pornographic and where that line is and why one feels more empowering than the other one. Well, one feels, I guess, oppressive. She, like, and that's right at the start of the essay. She's yeah. like, right, I'll just clear this up for you. Here's where we're going with that. Okay, and it great. gives her then 
somewhere to go yeah with the depth of what she's trying to understand because then when she goes on to say like you know using the erotic as a source of power and information and the, the erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos and power of our deepest feelings i mean it's it's immense this you know just that in itself but then um it's an internal sense of satisfaction this internal sense of satisfaction it's not serving something else that pornography is so like projected isn't it so something to be viewed something to be enjoyed to pleasure someone else and that idea that the erotic is an internal sense of satisfaction to which once we have experienced it we know we can aspire to a depth of feeling recognize its power and its honor and self-respect i mean it's so you know and this she goes on to say to go beyond the encouraged mediocrity yeah. of the society we live in. And I'm just like, absolutely. I know, I was like, it, I mean, that sums up so many of the discussions that we've had about, like, the danger of mediocrity and banality. Yes. And, like, and she, it. I think the part that really stuck with me was, like you said, but when you feel that deep sense of satisfaction, you're no longer willing to, like, accept something less than that it's it's recognizing your self-worth yeah and and your power as a human being exactly and that and it and that is its eroticism is like the heart of that and if we if we look to that and what grows out from that is everything you can always run it back to that and it's like like you said when you sent it to me this is from 1978 and it still sounds revolutionary and if someone wrote that this morning it would be revolutionary absolutely yeah absolutely it's crazy and like you know and 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 it is fraught with danger and fear to wake up to this thing you know yep society especially the only thing that you know it is kind of more recognizable that is from 78 because it's you know she speaks from from the lens of being a a black queer woman and you know saying it's so dangerous to to think like this to re- to suddenly wake up to the erotic society is scared of women especially mm-hmm. um being aware of their power and because uh, the erotic encourages excellent excellence and the strength to pursue that excellence so it encourages when when women particularly and i'm saying this to someone that's listened to her you know i'm not you know this is very much quoting but um women to wake up to that sense of eroticism and to recognize their power and and to not settle for the mediocrity is such a dangerous thing because society and the patriarchy functions on people being unaware of this, exactly right it functions on the ignorance there's that photo of her with like standing next to like a whiteboard that says women are powerful and dangerous mm. and like it, there's a thing there's part of that essay where she says every oppression in our history must corrupt or distort the sources of power that provide energy for change mm. and we've talked about this in so i mean it kind of underpins everything we talk about it seems to me in these last kind of 12 episodes is like when a a people or a voice is oppressed and people get tired and you keep people tired so that they don't push against mm. the the um kind of the norm they don't you don't push against the people who have the power um and when when you'd mentioned and you suggested this as a topic and I was kind of you know s- sitting with it for a bit and I, I guess I spend a day or two not like looking at any sources but just having it in my mind to mm. try and see what kind of comes up and I was trying to understand why there are some forms of like sexuality that feel empowering and like liberated and others that feel almost like domineering 
and and it and which is i guess and so one is subversive and one isn't and then thinking then about like classical western art like when we were talking about the gorilla girls where we have lots and lots of depictions of women by men right um that like and what one of the things that is kind of like a half formed thought in my mind but is a sense of if you are a heterosexual man and well a heterosexual white man let's say and you are heterosexual you don't need to announce that you don't need to tell anyone that right no. you don't have to say ah here i have to i've here i'm living my truth and no. i'm going to announce it to the world um cuz it's it's assumed that that's the way and the, the way is paved for you to do that um everyone else if they wish to be liberated have to make an active choice to announce 100 percent. and you know what's really interesting i listened to this other podcast that was speaking about this and it was talking about the role of erotic and artists like tom of finland and and queer artists throughout the times and why talking about like kink shaming at pride and people saying oh you know pride is now a family event there shouldn't be any kind of Mm -hmm. um outward display of, of explicit sexual reference and why that's problematic yeah because these people the queer community have come together on a foundation of sexual identity and that's gender right. identity yeah and that is why you cannot actually remove the the sexual references from queer culture and why should you why sex should isn't you? bad exactly it, you don't hide it but because this is what the whole heteronormative coming out of the closet society is telling you it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. they'll re- keep it in the closet don't express outwardly your sexual agenda you know that word agenda you're pushing it down yeah, people's exactly, throats. Yeah. It's, it's it's ingrained in all of us to to hide we're so prudish we're yep. so fucking prudish and so much shame there's so much shame 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 it doesn't and it starts before you you've like learned to walk or talk yeah. and and it's so dangerous and then you because not and i think there's been happening throughout my lifetime and way before where there's constant discussions about what it is appropriate to teach mm. in schools about about sex and and sexual health and sexual behaviors and people are fucking terrified of it oh my god as if you're discussing like should there be a class which is like bomb making i, I mean i was literally teaching a pupil the other day that's at that age where they'd had their first um sexual health lesson and i said how how, how was today oh oh not good i said why oh well we had to learn about puberty and i said oh all right you know why was that bad well nobody wants to see the other gender blah 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 and i just thought what i, I said well, it's probably actually quite good that you did see. I, I was like, that will probably come in quite handy <laughs> yeah, actually for point. you, you know. And and oh well, I suppose. But it was just that gut reaction, and I thought that's not coming from you. No way, you're that, not born with that. Everyone, every, you know, whether it's parents or other classmates, or you know, we all, like, you know, or whatever. And and even like in the, you know, I always identified as someone that was gay, but. I remember being feeling like I had to therefore be actively repulsed by the opposite sex. And that's a real misogynistic gay man thing that I really am not a part of anymore. But, you know, I remember, you know, oh yeah, I just hate vaginas or whatever, you know. And that's all rooted in the kind of 
misogyny and, and prudishness and not accepting of people's bodies and all sorts, you know. And it's easier to hate than to love. It's actually Absolutely. very brave to love and to celebrate. Yeah, so and, like, and to say now as a queer person that would celebrate every single part of every single person's body. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of anything, you know. But it's like... It's much harder, yeah. One of the, like, branches off the the erotic as power essay was um, Adrienne Marie Brown, who wrote a book called Pleasure Activism. Right. And says, you know, basically, Audre Lorde kind of underpins that whole thing, but... She talks about she there's this there's a bit of footage of her kind of giving a reading from her book um in a in a bookshop in New York and she's like when did we unlearn pleasure mm. like what wh- can we trace back when we unlearned it and it was like in so many forms and we talk about this in the arts as well of like this like beautiful kind of abandon and freedom that children have to just experiment with things and they don't have hang-ups Un- and then uninhibited yeah. yeah and then they learn all that stuff and they carry it like a big massive bag mm. of rocks um and and then if you wish to pursue it you spend a lot of time kind of taking those rocks out your bag one by one and it's a really long process and this is the same thing right baby like human babies are born with a fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. They're the two, like, biological fears. Everything else... Is learned behaviour. We just put it in them and break their little heads. Yeah. And you've got, like, you know, all of us know a child or we know someone with a child who, at kind of three or four, has asked about, like, oh, do I have a willy? Daddy yeah, has a willy. Yeah, well, yeah, what yeah, have yeah. I got? You know, like, and there's no shame and no one's embarrassed. Maybe the parents are embarrassed, which is probably where that learning starts, mm. but... And then there's like lots of, um, you know, every just like anything else, they're just exploring things and learning stuff. But even when you get to like any formalised education setting, that's all kind of fraught. It all feels very fraught to me. Like I remember sex education at school. Everyone was just stressed. Hmm. The teacher giving it was stressed. Everyone in the room was stressed because everyone's just so uncomfortable with themselves and everyone else. And, it just, and therefore the quality of the education suffers just, yeah, massively. Exactly. I mean, if you get it at all. Yeah. And, and, we're, and what we're talking about is heterosexual sex education anyway. Well, you know? exactly. So, yeah, God help anyone else, you know. But, yeah, I think it's really interesting that we have supposedly come so far to the point where we see, you know, all kinds of things and every kind of walk of life and visibility and and programs on telly you know you see all your steamy scenes or whatever but yet still from a young age children are taught sex is off the cards gender is off the cards sexuality is off the cards you just cannot discuss it it's not up for and again when it is discussed it's discussed under a kind of cloud of fear and terror Mm. like at some point People have or, uh, to recognise right, this is wrong. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it could be religious. It could be you know whatever. Exactly. But there's like before, or sometimes there's never an acknowledgement that like, hey, sex is really fun, yeah. and you're going to have fucking great time. Yeah, and also probably some shit, but it is really fun. And let me now just teach you about it, and also maybe teach you about some of the things you have to be careful of. Right. The only thing you're taught is here are the bad things bad, that can happen bad 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 and everyone's like fucking terrified but that that sort of like the brain that kind of cerebral fear is pushing against your actual hormones that are like super up for it yes oh my god yes yeah. so it creates this absolute kind of 
turmoil yeah and yet thrill because you're probably doing something that you know you're not supposed to even though you, you are, are supposed to, you're right? definitely supposed to you know? like you're definitely supposed it, as to, a living being are, hormones are part of your body yeah. your makeup yeah you're definitely but, um, supposed to but yeah there's that thrill of i'm sure people have felt that of like you know your parents can't find out or whatever it is or yeah. like hooking up or yeah it's it's really bizarre it, isn't it it's that just, we create that situation for our children yeah and it's just such a waste of like energy of energy and of like you you have the power to do all this kind of preventative supportive stuff but it just becomes about damage limitation mm. like about and, and not the great bits like yeah. for me like waking up to the erotic is to wake up to every aspect of your life absolutely and to enhance every aspect of your life and yep. your art and to feel real sensualities, to feel real vulnerability. And and we know the power of vulnerability oh. in our lives as artists. We definitely know it. You need to feel. You need to, like Tracy Emin said in that Talk Art podcast, like when I'm making love, I feel like I'm being crucified and then I realise I am the cross. And like nothing more needs to be said, yeah. right? I mean, it's just, Yeah. But the, so yeah, let's talk about Tracy Emin because I think she's a brilliant example in this. Right. So you went to see her exhibition. What did you think of it? I was so moved. Yeah, like I went with a friend of mine and my mum, and yeah, me and my friend were both quite, just quite moved. Yeah, and 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 we're really happy that I shared it with someone. But also, like, it wasn't like we needed to discuss every little no. bit. It was just an unspoken. We knew. Yeah, the impact. Um. It reminded me that it's actually okay to feel viscerally, yep. to feel violently, mm-hmm. to feel such raw and such extreme emotion. Yeah. Because sometimes I think when you're someone that feels that like that, because I'm, I'm an incredibly sensitive human being and sometimes I think I'm going mad yep. at how, how deeply I feel things. Yeah. Um, but Tracy Emin reminded me that actually that's all right. all right, yeah, and that you can use it in such a beautiful way, like to create great art. I think um, that room, because the so the the exhibition is in really quite a small room, mm. and a lot of her canvases are very large. Yeah, there is this sense it's like overwhelming. There's no escape. You can't from the work. It's like you are in. It is all around. It, you. It's right in front of you, and it's very very raw work as well i mean that like one that's like i'm the last of my kind with the writing on it i mean i was like almost crying it's it's super intense and it 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 cons it i love that she exists for all of us in the world mm -hmm. i'm I'm glad she exists for so many reasons it's quite extraordinary that now she is you know she's in the royal academy she's accepted as part of the you know, sort of national treasure status. Institutionalised. Yeah. I remember growing up and just, she was, um, well, she was just derided in the sort of public, in the in the kind of mainstream media. And and so you're kind of overwhelming. I remember thinking as a young person that she was like, like seedy and dirty. Well, I think there is a view still that, oh, she's just a bloody obsessed with sex. Yeah. And but I, this is exactly what we're talking about, yeah. eroticism versus porn- pornography, you know? And, like, I remember when she did the My Bed, when she mm. was nominated for the, the Turner Prize and she did My Bed, 
and it was all over the the news and stuff and people were just like hammering her saying that it was tacky and saying that it was like superficial and it was like just which is some of this thing that's been always leveled against that group of artists which Mm. is about like shock tactics with no real kind of um substance substance behind it um and like i've thought about that work and i've thought about a lot of her work a lot and one of the things that i'm really pleased i'm kind of i'm so glad she exists because i think she has really made me a better person because she has constantly forced me to like to look at some of my own prejudices and the learned like um reactions that are reflexes that Mm. i that i need to kind of push away like i remember the the my bed one has um underpants that are stained with menstrual blood Mm. now arguably one of the biggest taboos is menstruation and the idea that you're, t- you know, you're kind of warned as a young girl, you're going to start menstruating. But the whole industry, the whole world is about trying to make sure you can hide no it. No sees it, yeah. We totally. can give you products so that you can hide it for the next 50 years of your life and mm. then eventually you'll be free. And everything is about discretion and hiding. And I remember seeing products which were like, here's a special bag for keeping your like sanitary products in, but it looks so like no something else. Sanitary products, totally. Fuck, why does it look like anything yeah. else? Like it's in, it's absolutely insane to me. And it always even way before I could understand like how to kind of unravel it, I knew how odd that was to have something that's is felt by fifty percent of the human race, but mm. it's so like and it's it's talked about as like the dirtiest thing you yeah. know and that is like young women are taught that from such a young age and so that was really picked up on so many times in that work especially oh my god people were talking about it as a uh, people like so cuz sometimes people can't even own their outrage right if you hate Tracy Simmons work go and just say you hate it instead of saying it's a public mm. health risk it's not no one's going to go and lick it you're not allowed to no one's going to lick paintings do they no. but there's don't pretend don't your veil problem, your problem yeah, yeah is is some sort of risk of illness fuck off just say you hate it because i think the risk of illness is clearly bad taste right it, right these exactly are the problem and the thing is if you hate a work of art i think that work of art is one as long as it makes you feel yeah. something yeah good i'm glad it exists so don't like you don't have to hide it with something else but like it was that it was the fact there were stains on the sheets it's the fact there was condoms and everyone was just like falling over themselves to feel stressed about it. Mm. And she has, and you realise that you're, you've let, as a, someone who menstruates, you've learnt that shame and that, mm. and so you see it and it's almost like you don't want to be confronted with it because you just want to kind of hide away because you've been taught that. She leads the way then and now as someone who says, no, no, you you be all of yourself. And you exist and you use it in your work and your art and your life. And here are all the things that I am. She's got that amazing like tent that has all the names of people she slept with sewn into the kind of walls of the tent. And like she did that project where she was doing like selfies on her phone when she when she was kind of at her lowest point and there's ones of her crying, there's ones of her tired. All these things we never allow ourselves to I see. I think this is really interesting talking about the autobiographical kind of nature of someone like Tracy Emmons' work, and I've I've actually seen it in an, in a lot of great artists. Like even recently, there was someone I follow on Instagram. I think they're called Patrick Mullins, who has done a recent their kind of graduate collection from 
um, art college, a fashion college is to do with if Grindr were a fashion show and it's like there was a dress right. made of people they'd slept with, like some yeah. with their names, but some just something that made them remember them, whether it was their job title or their username or something. Sure. Another dress made with like the unsolicited nudes they'd been sent over yeah. the year and like stuff like that. And that is, comes from Tracy Emin, right? And, yeah. and And also, yeah, I mean, it really reminds me of someone like Nan Golden's work as well, who yeah. was another person I mentioned that it's just like totally opened themselves up yeah. to um their work really yeah and yeah it's incredible i mean like i i was reading up about the ballad of sexual dependency the the kind of groundbreaking series that um nan golden kind of burst onto the the scene with and yeah and i mean it, it is literally talking about you know a series of like snapshot like portraits that are kind of centering protagonists including nan golden herself in moments of love and loss and 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 she said you know the, the ballad of sexual dependency is the diary that i let people read yeah and isn't and that's that exactly what we see amazing description of art yes that is all that's what i want people to say about what i exactly create, it's right? a diary you let people read yeah and that's the most beautiful statement of like culture i've ever heard in because my life. i mean i don't know if you've seen it but like there's there's like um nan after being battered yep. and it's like a month you know that that like she she was in an abusive relationship and a, a kind of i think it was a month after that show physical attack she took a portrait and she's really badly beaten up and she said i took this photograph to remind myself to never go back to him but yep. i mean there's not many people in this world that would do that and have it on the moma website you know oh yeah like, no way i think her work is really extraordinary because i think we kind of mentioned this a little bit when we were talking about Stonewall. Remember the guy who ran away to get his camera? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talk about the kind of importance of, like, documentary photography mm. as a way it pushes against kind of exploitative photography. Mm. And the work that she did is the most, like, gorgeous, vital documentary-making. Groundbreaking. And respectful actually. and celebratory. But celebratory not just of certain aspects of someone's life, but all of aspects, because it's all part of the human condition. That's it. It's the human condition. Yeah. Totally. Because I, you know, I think one of the, and I, to my shame, I can't remember where I first, first heard this idea, but be hearing this, this sort of challenge, which was like, why is there a hierarchy of emotion? Mm. Why are some emotions okay and other ones aren't? Yeah. Why are some better than the other? Why do we strive for a couple and want to push away the rest? And the same can be said in terms of like what we choose, what we want to see in art. Why is it, why is the like beauty such a narrow focus? Why do we think that? Perfection. Yeah. And strength. polish. Yeah. And strength. Exactly. And why do we think that the other traits. things. traits. Yes, exactly. The other things, this is when we get people saying this is shock tactics. This is like superficial. This is. Uh, it's it's always and, the same stuff it's leveled against yeah and i think we see it in how we represent our bodies as well yeah we only want to see the, the adonis we only yep. want to see the the mermaid we don't want to see the fat we don't want to see, see the bruise we don't want to see the scars. disabled nope. scars menstruation nope. you know hair. whatever it is blood you know yeah. like hair yeah body hair is a big one Huge. you know everything is about removing these things to make yourself more beautiful and we see that in art especially in erotic art like i think the most vivid kind of 
eroticism that I've because I've been looking at a lot of contemporary mm-hmm. spe- specifically photographers that that really are Nan Golden. I mean Nan Golden really set that Instagram style that we see now that um 35 mil yep. diary like slideshow like film style of like kind of CD nights in yes. Berlin and New York. And and I've seen a lot of amazing contemporary folk doing it now. And I've and what I've been really what's been really good to see is like real bodies and real people mm-hmm. and it's so much more beautiful and impactful to me than the kind of the good bits you know yep. the good bits whatever that might mean exactly you know, the filtered kind of same person every time you know yep. I, yeah, we need to reflect the diversity of the human condition and that is moments of love but moments of loss yeah absolutely. that is the on top of the world party arm in arm like and that is also the morning after kind of mascara running down your face yeah gin a bottle of gin in your hand questioning your decisions you know that that you can't really have one without the other you can't can't. represent authentically without telling both stories definitely definitely and when i was thinking about kind of you know kind of classical western art that's in the canon you it's know, also fucking grand, isn't it? But it's a it's a very small number of individuals who decided what beauty is, mm. and then we just handed the baton to the mass media, and they've happily continued. Yeah, very small number of individuals telling us well, and and predominantly men telling everyone how women should look and behave. And what's really interesting is like you see through the history of or the kind of accepted history of Western art that those standards of beauty change. So it isn't that there's been one, there's not a sort of biological <coughs> default that we're no. all given about what we find attractive. So you'll see like Rubens painting really voluptuous, like mm. full women. And then you'll see like, v- you know, move into the other extreme of like... 90 supermodel. 90 supermodel being like, you know, dangerously thin. Head on cheek. So there, there's a change. There are shifts and... It's like we talked before about like um, the gorilla girl saying, "Okay, if we accept that the art world runs on a couple of individuals' wealth, then how well, can it's, we make it's that whoever's better?" Whoever's making the money at the time, right? So they've got stakes in what's trendy and fashionable, exactly. So they're going to control the art we see, yep. the adverts we see, the clothes we want to wear. Yeah, everything is going to be filtered off whatever's making the money. And what was what's really interesting is that so with kind of with art kind of moving moving back, you know, through the centuries, before we had any way of, like, reflecting. So lots of people never saw themselves. Mm. They never saw what they, they lo- themselves looked yeah. like. And so the only... Also, and they never saw any other images either. They yeah. didn't see any... The, like, Instagram, art was Pinterest, the only... Yeah. You know, and so... It was it was incredible. It was all consuming in its power because that was the only thing you saw, and you never saw yourself. And it, there's a very strange like disconnect. Mm. And then, because I, I remember hearing that um, when you see old pubs and they have signs that like depict what their name is, because they're always called like the Crown and Horseshoe or whatever. It was because when no one could read, you had to have like signs that were visibly recognisable so that right. people could be like, oh, that's where we're meeting yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like symbols, yeah. And like, it's really easy to forget that part of the function of art in the past 
was a lot broader than it is now, yeah. right? Because it was it, it acted as the media and it acted as art as we think of it now. Yeah. And now they've they've branched off into two things, except they both still exist, and they and they function in very much the same way as they. I was going to say, yeah, like yeah. But it's just now, happily, luckily, there are enough. Well, not enough, but there There's are those sources. that. Yeah, that and those that kind of push against the the norm to kind of show people that people like Tracy Emin and Nan Golden, because you just need a t- oh, in my opinion and my experience, you just need a tiny taste of it to realise oh, that to, it exists. It really feels like you you open your eyes for the first time. Yeah, again. and you're like, oh, now I can and make so many. I mean, there's decisions. there's some incredible people like that. I I want to mention actually, like mm. Sam Morris is is one for me. There was a channel for so I first came across Sam Morris. I think through just like having an interest in, in erotic art and especially from a queer perspective and mm-hmm. and I was aware of his series called Other Boys and Lovers okay. which is a snapshot series of photographs and, and films that he makes with lovers that kind of come into his home and, and he's kind of, they're really beautifully shot and they're often set to like classical music and and yeah, they're just these really intimate films, and so that that other boys and lovers series is amazing. And then um, Sam was also featured on this documentary that was commissioned by Channel Four last year called Me and My Penis, and it was all about the male relationship to the penis and mm. like masculinity and how, especially the shame of an erection mm-hmm. actually you know it's interesting we talked about the shame of menstruation but actually the shame of an unwanted erection yeah and that is something that's so taboo and sam was actually the first ever like erection erect penis to to be on telly yeah because you used to year. be allowed to have flaccid penises yeah. but you you had to have it so there had never out. been an erect penis on telly until yeah. this documentary last year and it's quite amazing because it's not in a sexual act. It's kind of this sh- photography shoot, and Sam's erect penis is there, and it's kind of enshrined in um, these kind of this kind of wreath of floral arrangements, quite beautifully. But um, yeah, so I just think Sam's amazing, and and also they they do like spoken word. There's this amazing video of them at Club Com- Cummings in mm-hmm. New York, Alan Cummings Club, doing some spoken words like completely in the nude, and and again, it's like erotic and sensual but it's not sex yeah it's not sexy it's talking about um remembering someone and and, and really plays on sensuality and all the the sen- senses engaging in that and some smell and touch and whatever um so yeah i think they're a good example of someone that's really taking the nan golden and tracy Emin kind of snapshot autobiographical erotic mm-hmm. thing and really channeling that um yeah so yeah sam morris there we go there's another thing I sort of was thinking about when you kind of take this. Oh, actually, no, let me, I'm going to leave that because that's not a nice bit. Let me go to another nice bit. There's a woman called Tristan uh, Tarmino mm. who is, um, well, she's a lot of things. She, one of the things is she's a very, very well respected kind of feminist ethical porn director. And there's this really brilliant book, like a kind of anthology called The Feminist Porn Book. Um, the politics of producing pleasure and um, has kind of contributions from a huge, huge amount of um, people writing from various parts of the industry, um, both the good and the bad and everything in between. Um, I think Tristan edited 
the the volume, but she's referenced in almost every work as a kind of seminal figure. Um, And she now, she does quite a lot of kind of sex education and and kind of um, empowerment and um, just is is a trailblazer in the way that she talks uh, very openly about sex, which is still very trailblazing. She has a podcast called uh, Sex Out Loud, I think. Um, Oh, yeah. And she's, yes, written this really amazing book, which is called... um, the Woman's Guide to Anal Sex, uh, and a couple of other volumes like that. And this, I found that I the first thing I read of hers was the feminist porn book, and just kind of delving into the kind of modern day kind of porn industry, as it were. Um, there's also an amazing podcast called The Butterfly Effect, which John Ronson did a few years ago, which is looking at what does what's pornography look like now, and what has the internet done in the way that it impacts. Mm. Uh, and one of the things that I really felt with his series specifically was how many lessons we, as a, the music industry, could learn from the pornography industry. So one of the things he talked about was the fact that as soon as you got these kind of aggregate content sites that you can access lots of different porn from lots of different sources, the way that people searched for pornography completely changed. Mm. So... If you wanted to get your um, material shown, it had to be referenced in searchable terms. And he said that one of the real world impacts of that was that it created this age bracket of female performers that basically lost their income because they couldn't be described as like kind of schoolgirl, you know, kind of young women or Or as MILFs. And so... Lots of performers in that middle bracket basically went away and worked in another industry and came back because there was nothing for them. Because if we didn't have search terms, we're just obsolete. Now, when we think about the way that music is now consumed online, we know that it's the same thing. It's about search terms. It's Mm. about using YouTube and Spotify as ways to search for stuff. And if it isn't categorised very, very clearly, then it's very hard to get anyone to hear your stuff. And... I've caught I've the number of times I've referenced like this example as a way we should really learn, but people are so stressed about it because it's porn. It's yeah, like, their ears are immediately switched yeah, off. It's like, yeah. listen, it doesn't matter what it's about. I was about to say, Kim, I wish you ran the world, but um, <laughs> anyway. But that, like, to me, it's such a we're a we're losing out on so much knowledge by not listening to things like this because they're really important. But also. For us, I think it is really important to acknowledge that, well, like we were talking about children, they get shit sex ed at school, mm. but they now have the internet. They are exposed to... Sex is everywhere. The world, the the gamut, the spectrum of sexuality from as soon as they can access the internet without parental controls, which means it's even more important to give them good sex ed because they're going to see everything, but they're seeing it through a very specific exactly. lens, Exactly. Right? It's about where you get your information from yeah. and, and what lens that is coming from, whose agenda is it serving. That's right. And so, like we're talking about sensation without feeling, if you are seeing material that is that is sensation without feeling, that is, like, performative... No doubt. For, yeah, and for someone else, it's if it's all through the male heterosexual lens... Cis lens, yeah, as well. And um, 
there's often quite a lot of like dominating and aggression, but not in the way in the way that that's celebrated and safe and like BDSM well, there's not community. Consent explicit, right? As well. Exactly. Yeah. Then, of course, you're going to feel, and then you go to school and you're told that it's shameful and you shouldn't think about it. It's really dangerous. Of course, you're going to feel like what the Christ. Am I I'm I'm to do kind here? of thinking, about, I don't know why my brain's going here, but like that ab fab episode where like Edina Monson's like to Safi she's like I did I did leave that b- copy of the Karma Sutra beside your bed didn't I you know it's kind of that kind of like you know like I mean that's more than most bloody parents probably do these days but you know it's that kind of like half arsed yeah just like let's not talk about slip that under the have you read that you know yeah. Like, it's, yeah and the way we hide our pornography yep you know it, it's now a lot easier but like you know it's even like pri- private browsing and like come on we all know what it, how it works but um you know like in the days of magazines which were pivotal in distributing porn and and bringing especially the queer community together like yep. porn mags were where it all started but having to like stuff them under your bed and like you know what the fuck I is that about like honestly the effort you went to for a wank like i am I surprised that anyone could be arsed exactly and wh- wouldn't you, wouldn't the world be so much better if everyone just like masturbated so much more than oh. they did i mean we can all tell we've all been in the fucking queue for waitrose <laughs> and been like these people need to yeah. have a fuck they need to get off just and have a good old wank because yeah. their energy is just so stressful so stressful so pent up but then then move it to like the serious side where i think sexual violence has a lot to do with shame and the oh way my we, god we, we deal Fully. with sexual like well I, i've mentioned it before in this podcast especially with violence against trans women and trans yep. femme yep. people like they're a, a, a fetish fetishized by predominantly cis straight men and then these men cannot deal with their own sensation yeah, or their feelings angry. and they get very angry and lash out in violence against these people uh-huh. and then you get um the, the sort of phenomenon of the incel mm. and about you know there's been there have been these examples of men who have either raped women or, or raped and killed women and left manifestos that that talk about the fact that how dare women not pay attention yep. to me and I yep. I give you everything you want and you know and this kind of real hate which it all comes from unexpressed feeling yeah. right and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be desired yep. but if you keep it in for long enough and it all gets rancid and toxic then it all breaks you know totally. and rape culture again is this other thing about all we do is and I remember this really vividly as a young woman being told the ways you keep yourself safe, yep. which is that you don't Damage go out at limitation. night. Don't go out at night on your own. Make sure you're holding your keys in your hand. You know, don't talk to your someone on the phone because you'll be not concentrating mm-hmm. on someone. Here's a rape whistle. Here's a thing. I really can't remember any time where I heard someone say, don't rape people. Yep. Um, ask very nicely if you want to touch someone. If you yeah. say no, then that's the end of that. Yeah. Like, there's just this, the victim, the way that we treat victims of sexual violence is just insane. And I think it does all come back to shame because people still feel like it's shameful for there to have been any acknowledgement that sex goes on yeah. in the world. Or might have even been something that people want to engage in. Yeah. You know, you know, especially when it comes to sexual violence yep. and misconduct, it's always like, oh, well, you were flirting with them or whatever. Like, what and, were you and we waiting? cannot fathom the idea that someone was, yes, po- was embodying their sexuality, but yet did not ask for X, Y, Z that then went on. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's like, why is that so difficult to understand? I know, exactly. And, th- and it's not going to change. 
It's not going to change unless all this stuff changes as well. Mm. And it's like, and it starts with celebrating what is healthy and normal so that you don't have people that just feel so much shame that their brains break. And then, but shame on the other side, because the number of people who are, they experience sexual violence and they they have they don't tell anyone. What you what you say about feeling is so important, and for me, is the grand overarching thing of this whole awakening that I've had recently. Listening to Audre Lorde and seeing Tracy Emmons' work, and just feeling yeah. so sensationally, yeah, and viscerally, and 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 I've wrote some more stuff down from that Audre Lorde thing. It was like, how often do we really love our work? Yeah, you know. And we should find the fullness of the erotic in everything we do, not just sex. It's about feeling fully and recognising power. Mm-hmm. And then once we've recognised that power, you know, reassessing the very quality of all aspects of our life and work. And and reclamation, truly living. And, and you know, she says this amazing thing. It's like, for me, there is no difference in writing a good poem and moving into sunlight against the body of a woman I love. Mm, isn't that how just, fucking beautiful is that, that but like delightful. yes like honestly yes like creating amazing art and like keith herring talks about this david trinidad talks about this like all these amazing predominantly queer artists like talk about the role of like eroticism and creating great art yeah and be, having an, an uh, being awake to being woke to your own creative being and being woke to your own sexual being mm-hmm. and, and the beautiful intersection in which that exists. Yeah, we've kind of like changed and and kind of mutilated what the word erotic means. Yeah. And I think part Yeah, the of misuse it is like, of the erotic yeah, and having tried we really have to reassess what, what that actually means because mm. people have such a clear idea in their head about I think what it's that like is. for me it's like an energy. Yeah. And like Alok talks about this, the great Alok, who I mentioned every day of my life, um, talks about this, like, about queerness. Mm. And queerness is actually an energy. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like I've smoked six joints before coming no, to this podcast. No, I, I totally but agree. Honestly, I totally agree. I think it's an awareness and an energy. It is. As is eroticism yep. for me. It's not something that means any one thing to someone or something that can be... De- you know, defined in one sentence or something that means you know there's someone's dick on a wall it's yep. it's, it's depth and it's energy and mm-hmm. it's ever-changing actually definitely and i think I, and and it so beautifully kind of celebrates subversion and mm. push against you know what is decided norm. as the norm yeah. and i think that that ha- we see that in every facet of life not just in sexual identity i think for a lot of people sexual identity is the easiest way to understand it um but we have to i think we have to remember how privileged we are as creative people to um like express ourselves access these points exactly and if you don't sometimes i find it very difficult to admit that to myself sure yeah that's what i was saying i i I think i've been policing my own emotions a lot lately and, Mm -hmm. and 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 actually do doing this this week has reminded me that because i am an artist i i i should be grateful to have the ability to access these emotions but also it's okay to be able to do that you know yeah and like we talked about like way back we're talking about like when people feel when there's kind of public outpourings of grief when a when a celebrity dies I mean, I think that the world doesn't let people feel enough anyway. Mm. And I completely understand how you make a connection with someone, an artist or someone in the public eye. And then that's like an... Grief and 
grief is an accepted way to feel, right? Yeah. There's a couple of them. You don't want to be too, you don't want to be ecstatically happy. We don't really like that in society. So just like, calm your jets. Uh, grief is good, but only in specific time periods, yeah. right? Um, and sometimes I look around, if I'm at like a funeral, and I think, because I know it's the same for me, it's a way to get all your feelings out, not just about the, f- the mm-hmm. person that you're remembering. Yeah. It's just like uh, you've opened a little door and you can just let your feelings out. And really, so much of our world is about closing those doors as much as possible. And like, if you are working a job that you don't love and feel passionate about, well, it's taken up a lot of your life and you're tired and all that stuff. It's very easy to not really feel anything at all. And like, I think, isn't that just the saddest thing to be in a position where that's the case? And I've reminded myself that a lot lately when I've like felt some of the more frowned on, frowned upon emotions of you know anxiety or, or you know sadness or whatever and I've actually thought I'm very lucky to feel yes I'm lucky that I can feel this deeply and then recognize my own emotions definitely and it kind of stops me from staying in that place yes yeah. I'm like you know what I'm so fucking lucky and if I didn't feel this I wouldn't know how fucking great it feels to feel that at the other end of it yeah because otherwise you're just stuck in this weird fucking beige. Yeah, the, you know the, the mediocre in the middle. The, the mediocrity, neither, neither here nor there. Fucking shit. I had a realization recently, um, or or a sort of acknowledgement to myself, or maybe I said it out loud to Riley, um, and it was maybe the first time I said it out loud. But like, I know that I there's a couple of things that I inherently am that I if I don't want to be, I have to work. Mm. I know I'm inherently lazy. Yeah. So if I don't want to be, la- and and I don't think that's bad or good, I just, it, it just is. And if I don't want to be that all the time, I have to make the, make choices that like really pull me out of that. Mm. I know I'm inherently spiteful. If someone upsets me or wrongs me, my default is to make them hurt. Like, I want you to feel what you've just made me feel. If I don't want to be spiteful, I have to work at that. And I remember having a conversation with Bex Birch and we talked about, um, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, maybe we'll check before we put it out. Um, She said about herself, I'm a selfish person. And I said, oh no, you're one of the least selfish people I know. And she was like, yes, because I have to work at not being selfish. And it made me realise, like it... It's just about what you choose to work on or not. Honestly, wouldn't the world be a much better place if even just double the amount of people were able to do that level of self-reflection and working on yourself? Because again, we frown at people going to therapy, which is where you'd often access this level of self-reflection. There must be something wrong with you. Not everybody should be able to do that level of self-reflection. I was also, yeah, someone that I'd seen the exhibition with, actually, we spoke about this afterwards and we were like actually to be able to do the work on yourself to recognize i am by default a bit more like this or drawn to that kind of thing or you know i tend to um deal with you know there's patterns of behavior that we all inherently have and they're neither good nor bad but being aware of them oh my god it'll make your life 10 times easier because it doesn't it's not about acknowledging it and then thinking there's no way that that can change it just is no no you make decisions every day that will define what you accept and will influence and and they're not good or bad they just are but as soon as you realize them then it becomes a lot easier to not feel like you're not in control of these things like and 
really for for me someone like Bex was like pivotal in making me think about myself and like what are the things that I am yeah and like which ones would I like to be something other than because I need to be active because I'm it's you know if you can't be passive about it it's not going to just change itself so it's like okay well that's fine and then I'll just change and then you feel a lot more in control like you were saying before once you allow yourself to feel the feeling doesn't have such a grip on you anymore. Exactly. And then it, you can feel it like left. And you're like, mm. oh, okay. And it's like, it's just let yourself be it. Okay, great. So we Look should us. fix We're, some shit. What's our fucking, fucking fix, Instagram fix handful, handful? The mindful <laughs> two. The mindful gossips. <laughs> exactly. How to be less shit. Yeah, how to sort your shit. But out. also if you're shit, that's okay. Yeah, just it's just everything's okay. I'm going to embody the erotic in every single aspect of my yes life. that should be the focus every day it should it honestly should yeah that that's that's it from here on in i am i am my antennas are always searching for the erotic well thank you for this um topic because it is like it's so huge it's a good one and it made us we covered a lot of ground there. We did, yeah. And it like... I'm a bit shattered. It reaches everything, doesn't it? But it I'm does. so glad we talked about some of this stuff. And like, there's so many, like, some of those Tracy Emin works and Nan Golden works, we'll find and share those images because oh, they're like just... Yeah, special. Extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Um, Right. Lots of love. Time for a lie down. Bye. Bye. <laughs>